So how does the refuge church fight injustice? Um, one thing, uh, it makes me a little nervous sometimes when I hear about uh, a church being involved with justice because there's so many churches that are involved in social justice causes that I look at and I think, you know, they want to reach out to people, they want to be sensitive to people, but th- they're missing God's God's standards in what's being called justice here. And, and it just seems so important for me to, to get a grip and hang on to what is really real about the bones God's put in our, in, our, in our society, in our structure that he's put into reality for us to understand him and so forth. It's pretty easy just to go there and just get a hold of those bones and, and shake them at the world and say, this is what God says and, don't, and not go any farther than that, and, um, and just really stand on what I believe is his word and what I know to be his word. And I think we all have that as Christians. We feel assaulted by society a lot. And yet this, this call to deal with injustice, I think as we'll see as we explore this, is very, very important to God and, and uh we got to make sure that we're getting a hold of it. And I appreciate the Refuge Church because in this interaction with the Oasis Center and so forth, um, we are doing that. Um, that's lovely to be able to use that as a we word. We are doing that. We're called to do that. And, and the pathways for those of us who are not doing that as much as we can are very much um, established and open within this community and just encourage us all to, to take advantage of that. Um, Jesus fought injustice when he was here and he did it in a really quiet way he, he told stories that had a little reproach stuck in them oftentimes, and, um, and these stories just changed lives they changed hearts and um, we're called to work the same way but more importantly we're called to be his story as he tells it forward into the world right? And so what is that story? And I'm going to start a little bit by just telling you my own story from the beginning, from when I was 17 and uh, not doing well. Um, I don't want to do this lightly or um, gratuitously, but the, 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 the fact under it, all my disconnection with my community and was, was, was a sexual sin that had become known within our small town to some degree. And and I was, and and the fact that I was always very emotional and not very good socially, and on and on, I just felt increasingly um, alienated from society and culture in my little hometown, and in, it was also with my family. My dad was really, I don't know, I suppose because of my behaviors or whatever, but I just really had a lot of trouble. Um, having grace for me. And um, there came a point where it all came to a head. I was 17 years old, and not just 17, as you know, 17 years old, but a very immature 17. But I, I ran away from home. I left in the middle of the night, um, November 15th, 1970, and ended up in Berkeley, California. And um, I want you to understand how frightened I was how disconnected with anybody in the world I was, how lonely I was. 
And uh, there was just there was really no sense of personal significance, meaning in my life, except that, that which can be manufactured within a 17-year-old. And that can be significant. You can build all kinds of castles in your head about who you are when you're 17, but, but still that fear was there. And still I was searching and looking very hard for something that would, I could connect to. And because I, college was out at this point, um, how was I going to find a job? How was I going to make a meaningful life? Well, what I found out there was a Marxist community. And they had all kinds of promises for me. And uh, they had all kinds of things for me to channel my anger into against this culture and society and the economic system and all this. Um, they saw Americans as waves, wage slaves. And a few of these guys had um, traveled to China by means of Bolivia and Cuba and during the Cold War when there was just not any open path, but they went there and China was all set up. They had a commune for people to come in and see the magnificence of the uh, Chinese system and to indoctrinate people against Americans, against America. And um, these people went there. They, they came back with the stories of this milk and honey kind of existence there. When, in fact, China was undergoing a, a great starvation where people actually were defoliating the trees in some parts of China, just trying to get enough to eat. But they kept the system going, and just by way of a footnote, you know, we have to kind of keep watch on that in ourselves, too. I mean, you blame Marxists for this, for this great phoniness, and it's there, but, you know, don't we tend to kind of, kind of keep the picture going even when the reality isn't underneath it? It's something for us to watch out for, too, right? It's just human nature. But I had, I had this... I embraced all the lies. I, I got the rhetoric going. I got angry. It was a great way to channel my anger. I, got, I just really enjoyed those endorphins you get when you're really raging in something. You know, and if somebody has an argument, well, you just rage more. That's how fighting injustice works. And then take it to the Supreme Court, and as, and, as, and as messed up as it is and as painful to certain people as it might be, you might just find the Supreme Court will rubber stamp and say, this is injustice. This is injustice, and it shall not be in this land anymore. And, and it might just go just diametrically opposed to God's will, but that's the highest court in the land. So that's, that's some people's fighting for injustice. Now, we as Christians, we like to look at the bones God's put in, in society, and we like to make sure that we are conforming to that. And I want to read about, in Isaiah 58, about some people like us, if we're not careful, okay? Not really careful. Are you at 58? I'm in reading out of a different version, but for richness, um, go ahead and follow along on your own. You'll see, you'll see slightly different words. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people my people, their transgression, and to the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. 
They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Now, he's not talking about Marxists here who deny God. They've got got no use for God. They deny his power. They deny his presence. They deny his reality. They're very far away from him. He's talking here about people who delight in his nearness. They seek him day after day as if they weren't like Marxists in some way. Well, how is that? How, as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, there's, somehow he's, he's got us lumped with people who are not so good as us somehow. Somehow he's doing that. Well, how is that? How could that be here? Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire, your contention, and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist, fighting, scrapping, contending. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. And um, yours is actually a little better there, the version that you have in your seats for Scripture. Uh, 58.4b. Anyway, is this a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for like bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading about sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? And you just hear the irritation in God's heart as he's, as he's speaking this to his bride, the one who he has provided a mansion and called himself, come with me, my beloved, and, and she's coming. You know, she's coming to him, she's, or she has come, and there's, there's, she's living in the mansion. And here we are at the church, and we're living in the mansion, and we've heard God's voice, and we love to hear God's voice, right? But here we get into this place where we say, where are you? Where have you gone? And the question is not, where have you gone, right? And so we're going to get into what that question is that we should, be, we should be asking. But let's just hear the Lord's voice a little bit more as he speaks here. Because he's going to clarify this. Is this not the fast which I choose? Is this not the separation from the reality that contends for your attention? Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the the oppressed go free and break every yoke? And what I I like here is that he's talking about this yoke, and he's going about it several ways. He's going to loosen the bonds, undo the bands of the yoke, and you know the yoke is what binds us to wickedness, right? We drag this through life, where wickedness does this and drags us along. It drags us in um, in bondage to this wickedness. And uh, so all of this stuff here is about... Let me just back up for a minute. I'm sorry. I kind of messed up something. I did it at the first service too. And I'm going to share something here that's really important. I get into my story and then I get too far along. But I want to say something about the what happened to me at that at that moment that I let go. All of this patriotism I felt in my 
heart as a youth and let go of my family and let go of everything and embrace this new reality, took hold of this new reality and called it justice. Um, Injustice always involves a sense of personal insignificance and meaninglessness. And so it often presents as a need for power. Let me just read that again. Because injustice always involves a sense of personal insignificance and meaninglessness, it often presents to us as a need for power. Okay? We want to be able to control things. We want to be able to get our hands on things. We want to find the handles. And if it's not this reality, maybe it's this one. But we need to have significance. We need to have meaning in our lives. Okay? Okay, now I'm where I want to be. Is this not the fast which I have chosen to loosen the bonds of wickedness? And this is letting go of some stuff, right? This is letting go of our viewpoint, letting go of our sin, letting go of um, our contentions, letting go of our fights. And, And this is what faith is. It's releasing our stuff so that we can get a hold of God's. Releasing our view of reality so that we can get a hold of God's. But it doesn't end here. It goes into the next couple of scriptures. Verse 7, after we talk about breaking every yoke. Not just undoing it, but breaking the yoke. To get hold of God's reality, we break it, right? The the, The old is broken. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Now this is something, we talk about faith being an eternal reality. Here's the second. These three remain. These are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. Okay, this is, this is love. So you take all the resources you see around you. You've let it go of so much. You've let it go and you're sitting before God. And you see and you have his heart. And his heart is for you to take the resources that he put in your life and divide it with the hungry. With the, with, divide your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your mansion. Right? When you see the naked, to cover him. And to not hide yourself. Don't hide out. This is my reality. That's your reality. You're wrong. I'm right. I wish you could come to Jesus and maybe I'll have courage to talk to you about that someday. But for now... The bones are over here, and I'm sorry you don't know that, but it's not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Now here's hope, okay? Faith, love, and hope. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery, your own recovery, will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. You talk about position. What's going on in the world? You look ahead, you look into the future. Ah, I see God, he's prepared it for me to walk into. You look over your shoulder at what happened yesterday. and God was in that, right? And most importantly, the present. You cry and he says, here I am. That fast. You know, he's here. I'm yours, I'm here. And, and, and you see that the question is not, where have you gone? 
for a person with this heart. The question is, where are we going today? What an exciting difference. What a pity to not go there, right? What a pity to stay in the mansion and ask God where he went when, when, you, could, when you could ask, where are we going today? Right? And we do that. We get stuck. Now, he's going to repeat this in the same order, with the same eternal realities, the same bones of reality, the same pieces of his heart. If you remove if, it starts with the word if. Don't miss that one. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, fighting with you and you who do this thing and you and they and, okay, establishing, let go of establishing that as reality, right, and get a hold of God's reality. Jesus did, when he was here, he, he did point the finger, say like at the woman of the well, but with, but not to speak wickedness. He did it to bring um, a conviction and a, a grip on reality of where she was so that he could pour the reality of his grace into that situation and he could draw a new picture for her and make her promises. You know? So that's why I did it. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking witness, and you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, you know, stay with it. Satisfy the desire. Fill them. Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Yes, there will be scorched places you'll find yourself in, but then the Lord shows up and he fills you, right? That's the promise. No promise that you'll never see scorched places, but that you will, that he'll, he'll <clears throat> satisfy our desire there and give strength to your bones. You know, these beliefs that you have, what is reality? What's right, what's wrong? He's actually going to strengthen that. He's not going to say, wash that all away. I want you open to anybody's idea of what justice is and what righteousness is. No, he's going to strengthen that in his way. It's going to be stronger than ever. But it's also going to be richly enlivened with mercy, right? And you will be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is the promise. And it's the same promise that he gave to the woman at the well. Right? Look for, look for these references to living water and springs of water throughout scripture in your readings. It's, it's a lovely promise. It does require that we come away like, like his beloved and be with him in a different place that we would be, even if that place has Christian stamped all over it. Is that difficult? But it's a promise. We have to go beyond ourselves. Okay. <clears throat> now here the promise continues. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. What are the foundations of reality? They are God's. They're being crumbled in this country, in this world right now. But if you follow these 
if we follow these admonitions to walk into real faith and real love, we will have the hope and we will bring hope into other people's lives because they will be able to build upon those foundations, right? We'll be able to restore those. We'll raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach. And a breach is a broken place and a wall that's been there for long enough that it's, that it's considered a, a feature of that wall. Oh, you know the breach in the wall? Yeah, that place. It's identified. People know where it is. And it's a place that's difficult to heal, right? Difficult to repair. The, re- the breaches in our culture are huge, right? They're just gigantic breaches between different different peoples within our culture, different political groups, you know? We're, we're, we've got the stuff to fill up that breach, to, to heal that. That's, this is in... This stuff is, is God's. It's what he wants for the world. He wants us to bring it too. So, And it says that we'll be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. When I see this word, where streets, I think of the, the inner, the conversations and the interactions that happen on the roadways and the streets. And if they're all rocky and torn up, you've got a street, a city that's completely ripped up and and nobody can use the roads. But these, these pathways of interaction, these happen around true righteousness, true, true justice. And they happen, they, God wants to pour them out through his people into the world. Okay? He does. And we have to be in his story. To, make, to, to allow that to happen. But these promises are for us. And and the only other thing I want to add to this right now tonight, uh, today, is um, just um, is, as you read on in the tra- chapter, there's some other good promises. There's a caution to uh, to observe the Sabbath, and as I see that, it's about rest. Make sure that you're not so caught up with working for the Lord, and that that you can't find that that restful place with him where you really spend that intimate time that he has for you. It will recharge you and enable you to do this much better, you know. Okay, so should we pray? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. If we come to that place where we can say, you know, that my identity is who I am, is beloved by God, then, oh God, we just, we just seek that. And beyond that, Lord, we ask that you give us hearts um, to carry this justice, this, this way that you've applied Jesus to the sins of the world, your way of dealing with injustice and sin, that you would bring that into our hearts so that we would be part of that application and uh, in small ways, in, in ways of this one instant, that we would be yours and for you and for your kingdom and for your glory and for your pleasure and for your people.
and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.